I'm Kate Daniels. Attorney Ben Griffith is an election law and voting rights expert. And the timing is rather appropriate. A major election day is now less than a month away. Mr. Griffith is here to share some insights into this right and responsibility we have. And if there's any question, perhaps his comments will clear that up as we discuss the latest edition of America Votes. Mr. Ben Griffith, good morning. Thank you so, so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you. What a critically important topic we have this morning. We can't help but know that we're really right in the midst of a critical season uh, in our lives. It's voting season, and you are here to help us to navigate some of this to get a better understanding because you've written this incredible book, America Votes. And uh, if nothing else, this is going to say America Votes. That means each and every one of us needs to get out there and vote for one thing, right? Absolutely, Kate. We've got uh, a total of 17 chapters and about 21 authors. They're experts from all over the country, representing virtually every perspective on the um, the political uh, scale. So it's a very good read, and it's very timely, particularly on matters involving voter ID. And, and okay, let's start with that one, since you're saying on matters regarding voter ID. Here in Washington State, we're one of the few states that has a mail-in ballot, and I know that we have to sign the ballot. So does that really count as our voter ID? It really does. I think we up until about 2013, most states that had any identification requirement relied upon a voter showing up signing their name uh, at the uh, polling place, having that name match with their signature on the poll books. And if they if they needed any other form of ID, uh, they would be asked for it. But generally, it was a very broad range of identification. And we didn't get into this business of only a photo ID or only a driver license. Because when you, when you get into restrictions and saying, well, what you've been using in the past won't do anymore, you better have a good justification for it. That's what has caught a number of states that got into this post-2013 voter ID legislation. It just became too restrictive. So, and that's the kind of work that you are doing is to see what's happening and right those wrongs. That's correct. That's correct. And if I can just touch on it real briefly, the two states, Texas and North Carolina, that have been uh, most in the uh, the uh, crosshairs on this discussion have both had their state voter ID laws stricken by the federal courts because they were overly restricted. They were actually determined to be discriminatory uh, on the basis of race. And if you have a racially discriminatory impact, that is, it impacts disproportionately African Americans and Hispanics. Uh, and the courts found in, in each case that these types of additional restrictions limiting the types of identification people could bring, saying no student IDs, uh, no traditional voter voter registration card, uh, gas bill, utility bill, none of that would do. You have to have this very narrow category of, of uh, identification forms. The court said, look, this doesn't fit everyone. It may fit the greatest majority, but there are a number of people, particularly minorities, who disproportionately will use a government-issued ID. And you're now telling us this was no longer acceptable. And that happened both in Texas and North Carolina. Of course, North Carolina is a huge swing state in the upcoming election. And the whole problem came down to disproportionate 
uh, impact upon minorities. And so you're saying this has now changed in both of those states where any ID that they have is going to work. Yeah, it's going to be a much broader level of acceptable identification. You and I could look at it and say, what do we have in our pocket? Well, we, we each probably have a driver's license. But if you say, well, only a driver's license or only a passport or only this narrow category, there are some people who don't even drive, okay? We've got many people that can't come up with a birth certificate because they were delivered by a midwife. Uh, a, a lot of times you'll find, particularly in the minority community, the traditional forms of um, voter ID that we all take for granted may not be present, but they may have something just as good that would be just as acceptable. And now you've got courts ordering the states to implement uh, this type of broader identification uh, setup. And I think it's I think it's working. It's it's unfortunate that a federal court has to tell a state to do so, but we're dealing with federal. Uh, anti-discrimination laws under the Voting Rights Act, and that is the supreme law of the land at this point. And how fortunate we are that we have persons like yourself watching out for this across the whole nation. This isn't just relegated to your corner of the world. It's the entire state, because in America Votes, you have such a variety of authors that are all contributing here. So this is completely national, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're dealing with a nationwide law that has been invoked in both uh, of the two states that I've referred to. And there are at least uh, six other states where this litigation is going on. And the courts are saying uh, voter identification per se in and of itself is not the problem it's just when you become so restrictive, and these these state laws in these two states in particular were considered the most restrictive in the nation, uh, that you're you're going to, if you're not careful, you're going to have a very negative, disproportionate impact upon um, minority voters, and they the proof was presented to that effect, and it was very very strong. So if there is litigation going on in other states, is that going to be a problem for residents in those states to be able to vote? It it should not be. Uh, Most states have a form of provisional ballot. That is, if I go into the polling place and they say, you're in the wrong place or we don't have a record of you, and I know or I'm, I'm convinced that I did have proper registration and I was supposed to be on the voter rolls, I can still cast a provisional ballot. Uh, There are forms of that available in virtually every state. Now, Washington state is way ahead of the league. I mean, with with the write-in voting, mail-in voting uh, that's been effective for a number of years, uh, you're probably the gold standard in that state. And it's it's one in which turnout is going to be substantial. Early voting, uh, you know, people, when they begin to restrict early voting, you raise your eyebrows and say, why? Why would you restrict people from early voting? Uh, absentee vote, uh, voting is, is almost uniformly allowed in, in uh, every state in the, in the nation. But when you have these types of restrictions that have come about in just a handful of states, it reverberates. And I, I'll tell you one thing, Kate, and this has uh, been documented. It's having a boomerang uh, effect. It's actually in uh, encouraging minority voters as opposed to discouraging them. When they are told we're going to do all we can in this legislative act to make it harder for you to vote, it's actually having a a positive effect of encouraging, mobilizing, and uh, causing, I believe, in the long run, a greater voter turnout. 
that's not what the uh, people who started these legislative restrictions had in mind, but it's uh, it's an amazing process. We're going to have to wait until November 8th to see if it carried all the way through to fruition, but I believe that's going to be that's going to be the poetic justice of this entire process. So maybe from a naive standpoint, those who want to have these kinds of restrictions, is there an ulterior motive that exists? Well, the courts actually said it was racially discriminatory in its effect, that it had a disproportionate racial impact on minorities. Uh, it was actually, in one court opinion, the court said it was that it was targeting minority voters with surgical precision. Those are those are very damning uh, remarks coming from a federal judge, and that's aiming straight at the legislatures when they do that. Uh, now, it's not to say there are 32 states plus that have voter ID, not to say that all the states are acting racially, but those states that have gone overboard in the excessive restrictions that have eliminated what we would normally see as the customary alternatives for identification, uh, those are the states that have uh, laid themselves open. I think they've they've been justifiably uh, exposed to the, the wrath of a federal judge after hearing, in some cases, weeks of testimony saying what you've done is effectively to target and to cause a negative uh, impact and a discriminatory impact on uh, African-American, Hispanic, and other minority voters. That's tough language. And, uh, so it's not guesswork. We're dealing with a judicial finding of fact in these cases. Incredible. And let's take this moment then to mention that this, along with multiple other aspects of voting, uh, is found in this incredible book, America Votes, Challenges to Modern Election Law and Voting Rights. Yes, and there are some key chapters, and uh, I, I would consider some of our authors of this book the uh, top of their profession. These are academics, professors, uh, litigators who have devoted their lives to this process, and they, are, they deal with early voting. Uh, we have a, a chapter dealing with the whole area of voter suppression, uh, and what what impact voter suppression tactics can have on voter turnout. It's what we're talking about every day in the news now. It's amazing. Here we are 60 days away from the election, and the very topics that are dealt with in uh, America votes are the ones that the uh, kind of on the front burner for most of the uh, uh, Americans that are involved in the political process, and a lot of us are. We're very interested in what's going on and how we elect our representatives. Yes, perhaps that's what we're finding more so currently than any time in the past, or maybe I'm just living in the present more so. No, I, I think you're dead on. I think you're exactly right. This is We probably have uh, an age we're in now, and I don't believe I'm exaggerating, and I think you're seeing it exactly right, Kate. There's a greater political awareness at every level of our society. People know what their rights are, more so than, say, 50 years ago certainly more than 100 years ago. We're an informed society. It's not perfect, but we have a great awareness of uh, things like uh, legislative excuses. When our legislature comes in and says, we have to have voter ID to prevent election fraud. Well, if you say a photo ID is going to prevent election fraud, the, the reports on that mean voter impersonation fraud. I come in and I say, I'm uh, I'm Kate Daniels, and I present a false ID with a photo that's supposed to be you, but it's me. 
and I vote. That's voter impersonation fraud. A study was done of that, of all the elections of, of a, I think, a billion votes, one billion votes back to the year 2000. They found 31 credible incidents of impersonation fraud, 31 out of a billion. Now, you can tell me if that's a significant number that would justify legislatures jumping on board no. with the voter ID legislation. I don't believe it is. No. That is incredible that with that minuscule number, then, it would take up so much legislative time. It's amazing. There's a, one, uh, one of the top uh, experts in the country is Rick Hassan at uh, University of California at Irvine. Uh, he's a law professor there, and he's written The Voting Wars. Uh, he's, he's one of the, to me, is one of the most astute experts in this deal. He said there are 30 deaths by lightning in this country each year. Compare that to 31 instances out of a billion votes since uh, 2000 of impersonation fraud. So it's more likely that you're going to walk out in the backyard and be struck by lightning than to have an instance of voter impersonation fraud. Where is the justification for voter ID? This, if I could touch on it very briefly, Kate, yes. there was uh, testimony in a number of these cases where the legislators themselves were quoted as saying, uh, right after the Supreme Court in 2013 lifted the voting rights preclearance provision, there was a case called Shelby County versus Holder. The legislature said, ah, now let's go for the full voting package. What they meant by that was we're ready to enact a broad omnibus voting uh, election law that will include these very restricted provisions, and they did it. And the question became, why? What's the need for it? And that's when you became, we began to see more and more the uh, rationale, oh, we have to do it to prevent voter fraud. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> a voter ID card is not going to prevent voter fraud. It'll prevent uh, if maybe 31 out of a billion, yes. But is it going to prevent voter fraud? No. And are there criminal penalties for voter fraud? You bet there are. And, and virtually every state has a Washington has, a, I think, a, just a beautiful record in terms of voter access and participation. Any state is going to have some instances of voter fraud, but none of this is going to be caught or interdicted or slowed down uh, at all. Um, but it's going to be minuscule. You're not going to have a large amount of voter fraud uh, at any point. And we've got very effective courts and uh, watchdogs and agencies and poll watchers at every election in every county and every precinct in the country. It's just not a willy-nilly, out-of-control system. It's very much out of control. Another piece that of this is the... Uh... And there is a chapter devoted to or parts of a chapter on felons and restricted voting. And I, I think the law is that someone with a felony conviction is not allowed to vote afterwards for a number of years until right. they reenfranchise themselves, right? Right, right. You've got a number of states that have felony disenfranchisement provisions. You're convicted of a felony, uh, particularly one involving moral turpitude. You know, we don't use the word turpitude too often, do we, Kate? But, no. Uh, involving dishonesty, involving cheating, lying, theft. And, and the, the rationale may be, well, this kind of person doesn't deserve to have the rights of all other citizens. And now states are re-looking at that. They're, they're saying, let's take another look and see, do we really need permanent disqualification? Or if a man or a woman who has been convicted has served their time, 
they pay their penalty to society, and they're back out in the free world, is there really a rationale to continue to say they can't vote? Some states have uh, changed their uh, uh, felon disenfranchisement laws drastically. Some eliminated them. Some have limited, uh, limited the, the disqualification to time served, and after that you, you petition to get back on the voter rolls, or you simply re- uh, come in and register to vote. Uh, we have two states that uh, completely eliminated their disenfranchisement provisions. And, uh, you know, it, it hasn't resulted in a wholesale um, uh, messing up of the election system by allowing uh, ineligible people to come in and vote. It's, it's saying we want all citizens who are now, particularly those who are free and have served their time, to have the opportunity to have a say-so in who will be their elected officials. Uh, it's 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 a real controversy, and of course I know uh, one of our governors, uh, Governor McAuliffe, uh, by executive order, uh, restored the voting rights of thousands of uh, previously convicted persons who were now out of jail. They had served their time, and I don't believe the sky is falling as a result. And why this is particularly important is again we see the disproportionate number of felons or those imprisoned who are of a different race. They're not, they're non-white. And so this again is skewing that opportunity and that entitlement to vote because of that. That's exactly right, Kate. When you see uh, the application of a law have a disproportionate effect on African-Americans, Hispanics, and other minorities, you need to pay attention to it. If you see the way in which a law is being applied uh, almost singling out and having a wildly, um, percentage-wise, a wildly overly proportionate impact on minority voters. You need to look at it and say, is, are we inadvertently, are we just uh, as a matter of inadvertent legislative uh, action actually trampling on the voting rights, and the, the fundamental rights of minorities? And that's what's been brought up in many of the challenges to these uh, disenfranchisement uh, laws in many states. But I think the legislatures have have come around, not everyone, but many of the state legislatures in the country are are coming around to re-examine this and perhaps more narrowly tailor their disenfranchisement laws to meet reality as opposed to just a blanket, uh, you committed a crime, you'll never vote again. I think that's uh, that's almost uh, a rationale that's... uh, no longer justifiable. And Mr. Griffith, you mentioned that there are two states that have totally eliminated this. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, yes. And uh, I don't believe you'd be surprised to know one of them is Vermont. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, but uh, it's, it's amazing that uh, this is caught on. And it's a sensitive topic for many people. It really is. People, you know, a gut reaction would be, well, they committed a crime. They should, they should not have the rights of citizens. Well, if they're out of jail, they're now working, they're paying their taxes, they're doing their part to support their community, give me a good justification for keeping that penalty in effect. It, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And those arguments are now being made with greater and greater force. And uh, one reason why is we have a greater and greater number of minority representatives in Congress, and of course in the Senate and the House, and in the state legislatures. And it's, uh, it's becoming a greater... Uh, matter of relevant discussion today uh, with uh, uh, legislative black caucuses, with the minority uh, caucuses that are uh, flexing their muscle. And they're saying, no, we, we don't want to have these types of laws in effect. 
they just give a blanket prohibition against voting uh, just because a person has committed a crime. If they're out and they're serving society again and they're supporting, just like you and I do, supporting the work of government and, and society in general, the reason for the penalty has evaporated. That is why they served time. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. So in this book, America Votes, this is the third edition, which means that there has been a real need. It's really served a great purpose in the world, and you're needing to come out with more updated information, right? Absolutely. It's very current. It's, it's, I've been the editor of uh, all three of these um, um, editions, and it's been a challenging process to stay right on top of the issues. The American Bar Association, through our president, Linda Klein, uh, has adopted a policy that's very, very good thing. She encourages, and the uh, ABA itself encourages everyone to get out and vote. Make sure you're registered. Make sure your friends, your family, your work, uh, uh, your colleagues at work, make sure everyone uh, checks and double checks and is ready to vote on Election Day and encourage the greatest turnout we can possibly have. There's no harm in that. That's called American democracy. It's uh, participation by all. And the ABA is really pushing it as hard as it can. And there is a timeline, though, which I am not knowing what it is. But to vote, we need to be registered, and there is still time to do that. Yes, generally. I'm being very general because we have 50 states and territories. But generally, about 30 days before Election Day, uh, you need to make absolutely sure you're registered. The easiest way to do that, most secretaries of state offices in the 50 states have an election hotline. Uh, most people could either get it on Google, put in your state, secretary of state, and put an uh, election hotline. Uh, or you can just simply ask uh, in the local uh, court clerk's office, how can I verify my registration? Most people know they're registered to vote. We always uh, re-register technically every time we vote, but a lot of people who may not have voted in the last four or eight years need to double-check. And uh, 30 days before the election, though, is, is kind of a that's a, a general cutoff point for many, many states. So we're, we're still there. We've still got plenty of time, but it would be very prudent for uh, uh, persons who want to make absolutely sure they've got their, their uh, registration in order to do that double-check. Uh, 30 days from now, it may be too late. So, Mr. Griffith, do you think it's unrealistic to think that we should have close to 100% voter turnout? Well, you're, you're talking to an eternal optimist. It's not unrealistic to me, <laughs> but it's not likely. We had 50% voter turnout about 25, 20 to 25 years ago, 50%, which is, I think that's shameful. Uh, in the 2008 election, when uh, Barack Obama was first elected, that rose up to about 55, 56%. In the last uh, um, presidential election in 2012, it rose up to about 58%. That's significant for our country, but compare us to our European brothers and sisters, and uh, even the countries in, in the Mideast, we've got countries that are getting 90 and 95 plus percent turnout. We can do better. I think that's the bottom line. Our, our mobilization and participation efforts uh, are there. They can be better. Our turnout is improving. It can be much better. And for anyone who doesn't turn out, who might be hearing this and thinks, why does it matter? Obviously, every single vote matters. That is the way that we express our particular 
thoughts. It really dictates what we're thinking. And if we want the response to be X, then we need to get out there, don't we? You put that absolutely beautifully, Kate. That's exactly what it is. Uh, We don't have a right to come in after the election and complain about leadership when we had we took no steps to be involved as a voting citizen in helping choose those leaders. Uh, we need to be very vigilant about our own right to choose who our leaders might be. Go all the way back to the uh, Tea Party, the Boston Tea Party. What was that about? Uh, we don't want uh, uh, taxes without representation. My goodness, voting and voter turnout was at the uh, was a present factor in the uh, the beginning days of our republic. That's the way it was. So I think we need to jealously guard our right to participate, but do that in the best way possible, getting out and voting, making sure we participate in that way. Yes, it is a right, and we should take advantage of this one. The precious right is one that we can actually forfeit on Election Day by saying, I'm too busy, uh, I don't have time, or I was going to be out of town that day. Well, that's what absentee voting is about. Again, we're talking about deadlines, generally states, uh, have a cutoff period before an election when absentee ballots uh, would be too late. So if you know you're going to be out, you'll be gone from your your regular community where you live, uh, go ahead and follow up and make sure you vote by absentee ballot. Uh, every state has provisions for that. And there are so many different ways you can get voters to step up to the uh, the plate and cast their vote, even if they know they'll be uh, even out of the country on election day. There's no excuse, actually, for people to say, I just didn't have time or I wasn't I wasn't aware that the election was coming. I don't think that's going to work in this election. <laughs> There's a greater awareness now than ever. Exactly. And the fact here in Washington state with mail-in ballots, it just makes it so, so simple. There really is little room for excuse. Yes, I am hopeful that many other states will begin picking up on the Washington state electoral process. It's, it's magnificent the way it works. And you've got so many additional safeguards in the system, but it encourages people to turn out. It encourages voter access, and it makes it easier. And that's the way it ought to be. And I think if we look to this book, America Votes, Challenges to Modern Election Law and Voting Rights, we have to realize how precious this is, that there are so many hurdles that have been gone through and still many that exist, that when we have this opportunity, and then it is a right that we need to exercise that right that we have. Yes, that's correct. And it's one that, and I'm not overstating this, we've had people literally die for the right to vote. We've had people go through a lot of suffering and pain to get our nation up to the point where we have such open, accessible processes for people to step up to the uh, the voter booth and cast their vote. A lot of people did a lot of hard work for many generations leading up to the time when you and I both walk into the, uh, the polling place and cast our vote. Or in your case, the most convenient, you cast your vote by mail and you're done. Uh, I am so hopeful that many other states will begin uh, following the lead from Washington State because you've really got an admirable system in place. We do. So it is very simple for us. So we'll underscore that, get out and vote, uh, or take that ballot and mail it in as soon as you have it. Now, for more information, you know, to really get into some of these details that we have talked about and some of the challenges that have existed, uh, the best way you would suggest to access the book to get their own copy? 
yet too. Uh, I would go to the URL. It's uh, shopaba, shopaba.org backslash America Votes. Shopaba.org backslash America Votes. Another way is just to Google it. Just put in Google America Votes with an exclamation mark, and it, it will come up with uh, all three, the first, second, and third edition, and the third edition is the one. And it's uh, easily accessible. They've even got an electronic edition as well. So it's uh, it's one that I think is a must for anyone that's interested in the electoral process, and particularly the presidential election this year, which is uh, getting to what uh, we might call that white-hot stage. It really is. Absolutely. Well, you have certainly given us some great insights, some important ideas to consider and to really be more impassioned if we've gotten a bit lackadaisical in the process. So, Ben Griffiths, thank you so greatly. You are definitely a voice of inspiration and reason, and I really appreciate your taking your time with us this morning. Kate, I thank you for having me on your program. Thank you very much.